0: Welcome everybody. You can uh, find your seats. We are going back in our series. Um, This past summer we went through a series called In the Lord's Sight uh, through the book of 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. We got through 1st and 2nd Kings, but we didn't get through 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. So we're going to finish that series. And if you remember, that period is where God told his people that he wanted to be their king the people said, no, 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 we want to be like everybody else. We want a king, which is what we do. We want what everybody else has instead of what God says is best. So God says, fine, I'll give you what you want. If that's what you want, here you go. But if I give it to you, you're not going to like it. They're going to make you go to war. They're going to tax you. They're going to do all these things that I don't, I I mean, it's just going to happen and they're going to act wickedly and they're going to, do things and and you're going to have to submit to them because now you've started a kingship and now you're under their authority and so all through this process the children of Israel had their they selected a king Saul then God said I'm going to select a king which was David rose up his king David then built a temple and then after David King Solomon came to power and with Solomon he began to tax he began to have lots and lots of wives and create lots of family mess because if you have 700 wives and 300 concubines, a lot of people are going to be mad. There's going to be a lot of family conflict, right? I mean, if you had two wives, you're going to have family conflict, but he's got 700. So as a result, what ends up happening is the nation splits, right? There there goes a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and you can kind of see this, where the northern kingdom is the 10 tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes based on 12 children of Jacob or Israel, he was renamed Israel because he wrestled with God, which is a great name, like we wrestle with God, and so the ten tribes went north, they took that land, and then they established two places of worship, which they weren't supposed to do, and a man named Jeroboam, who was an officer of the king, uh, uh, decided he was going to create two worship places, Bethel and Dan, and he was going to make golden calves. Which is what the children of Israel tried to do In Exodus, and it went very badly But he said, this is what I'm going to do And God said, please don't do that And if you do that, I'm not going to be with you And there wasn't a single Righteous king for 150 years in the northern kingdom Of Israel, not one there were moments where there was a king that kind of started to walk with God, but then his problems would disappear, and he'd go right back to telling God, I don't care about you, and they'd go right back to worshiping golden calves and idolatry over and over again. In the southern kingdom, that was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and that was Solomon's son Rehoboam that took the southern kingdom, and so now you have hundred and fifty about 150 years of civil war, kind of, where... They are just at odds. And you know, this happens all the time in relationships. Where there is a boundary, there is a line drawn, and it feels like there is a civil war. And where is God? And what is God doing? And why did this happen? And why is this happening? And God says over and over again that he's looking for those that will look for his sight, not theirs. And while we're focusing on everybody else and all the things around us and everything we want and how it should be and shouldn't be, God is saying, is there anyone that will look to me, that will look to my sight? Because you have limited sight. I have limited sight. I can only see what I see. I don't know what's going on halfway around the world. I don't understand how geopolitically things connect and fit together because it's so entrenched and so deep, but God does. And so all the way through the books of 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles God keeps using this phrase in the Lord's sight. And he would say, in the Lord's sight this king did what was right and in the Lord's sight this king was evil. And he just says, how do you see yourself? How do you see the world? What is the sight that you have? Do you have God's sight from his word or do you have your emotional sight and what you feel and what you want and all those types of things? Because if that's what you do, you're gonna be at war your entire life, which is what the two nations were, Northern and Southern Kingdom, they were kind of at war with each other. And the nations around them went to war against them and they were decimated and destroyed eventually. And so remember, the question for us that we have to ask is, in whose sight am I trying to be right? Whose sight am I trying to impress? Who who is it that I'm looking to? And the kings of Israel that said, you know what, I don't care what the people want. I don't care what the people are doing. I wanna do what's right in God's sight. God bless them. And God changed people's lives during those time periods. This morning, what I wanna look at, as we pick back up the story, We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 12 and uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 23. You can also go on your, 23 and 24. You can also go on your phone. If you click on our website, hit go live, you'll scroll down. You can hit the scriptures both in Spanish and in English that are there. But this morning, what I want us to look at is what this passage talks about in 2 Kings. And it said, the people would not listen. The people would not listen. Have you ever chosen to decide I'm I'm not going to listen in your life? Right? Oh yeah, you have. As a kid, you know, mom and dad are telling you and you're like, "I'm not listening." You know, maybe even as a year like, "I'm not listening." You know, you put your hands over your ears and but in marriage, at work, like we're we're so caught up in our way of being right. Our our thoughts, our ways that we're unwilling to listen to God or listen to others because we got it figured out. Or maybe we don't have it figured out but we don't want to figure it out. And I'm not gonna listen because I'm so stuck in my own emotions, I'm so stuck in my own pride, I'm so stuck in my way and what I want, I'm not gonna listen. And you know what, it'll be fine. It'll all work out in the end. And it normally doesn't. And that's exactly where we find God's people when we dive into this passage. So let's back up from where we left off. We've had a number of kings... From the line of David in the southern kingdom, these kings are following David's line because there's a Messiah, Jesus, who's going to come from that line. In the northern kingdom, Jeroboam's line was going to continue, but God said, if you don't follow me, I'm going to stop your line and start another line. And you see multiple lines of kings where they just killed each other, killed entire families, and new families took over in the northern kingdom. Okay? So now we're coming to a place where in the northern kingdom, Jehu, the captain okay, has annihilated Ahab's family. He's killed all of Ahab's family, even Ahab's family in the southern kingdom, if you remember, because Ahab's daughter was given in marriage to Judah's king. So they were trying to make a peace treaty on their own effort. We read about this last time, and you can read about it in Second Kings 10 and in 2 Chronicles 22, and it's what we do. We try to make peace treaties we try to make peace in all these relationships we don't care what God has to say about peace or what God has to say about relationships I'm just tired so let's just make peace and so Ahab's northern kingdom family intermarries with Judah and then the idolatry of the northern kingdom starts to spread all throughout Judah and then God raises up this man Jehu to kind of be a pain and to go in and say, if you don't repent, God's asked me to annihilate the house of Ahab, and he does it. And it is a complete mess. I mean, the nation is at war, and Jehu is going through. And God tells Jehu, because you've thought about what's right in my sight and not what, what, what's right in God's sight, I will make you king, and I will make I'll allow your son to be king after you. So he makes him a promise for doing something right. He's like, look, I'm going to do this for you. The Ahab's line has been destroyed, as God said it would, by Jehu, because God prophesied through the, the prophet Elisha that, that this was going to happen. Jehu won't fully commit, though, and he continued in Jeroboam's sin. In other words, Jehu is like, man, great, I, I, I want a war, I want a battle, God was with me, but I'm not going to do all that God worship stuff. Like, obviously, he's happy with me because I'm on the throne now, and I'm doing well. So he doesn't get rid of the golden calves in Dan and Bethel. Oh, no, 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 no. Because if he did that, he would make everybody mad. So he's just going to keep the peace. And, well, my son's going to sit on the throne anyway because God's promised it. Well, yeah, but what about your grandson and your great-grandson and your great-great-grandson? Well, I don't care about them. I just know my son's going to be on the throne. And that's exactly what happens with Jehu is that he continues in the sin of Jeroboam. He won't listen to God. He won't listen just like people don't listen. Now in the southern kingdom, there's Joash. Joash, remember, what happens is there was intermarriage. So when Jehu kills the family of Ahab, he has to go after the king's family of the southern kingdom. And one son is spared, miraculously, because Jehoiada the priest, when this mom, you can read about it, this mother was of Ahab was killing all of the line so that she could be queen and so that her chosen son could reign and nobody else, there was this one son who was not of her line, Joash. And Joash was spared as a baby, brought into the temple and protected by Jehoiada so that he could become king. Jehoiada stands up for God. He stands up against the idolatry. He stands up against this woman and the mess that was made. And he brings the nation reform and revival. Like, Does this not sound familiar of what we talk about every four years? This is an election year. You're gonna hear stuff like, what I'm going to, we're gonna read like the whole year. I'm gonna fix this, you know, build back better. You know, make America great again. Like everybody's got a plan, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, you know, rural. It's all over the place. These aren't new problems. They've been there forever, (laughs) right? The question is, who are you going to listen to? Well, I'm for Trump. Well, I'm for Biden. Well, I'm for this. Or I'm, I'm independent. Where are the people that are for the Lord, that are concerned about how God looks to the world and is in his sight? Like, where are those people? Because that's the important part. And we're running around making decisions and making things because we don't understand and we don't listen. So here you have it. Joash repairs the temple. We'll see in a minute. But then Joash commits wickedness and falls prey to not looking at what God says in his sight and not listening to God and going astray. So let's dive in. Second Kings 10, 11. We're going to back up to go forward. It says, so Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel. All his great men, close friends, and priests, leaving him no survivors. That seems so brutal, right? You have to remember, God spent decades warning Ahab. It's like the person who gets, I'm not trying to judge anyone, but it's like the person who gets lung cancer because they've smoked for 40 years and then they're shocked that they got lung cancer. It's on the package. Like it says, right? White, bold, like this causes cancer. Ahab had been told for decades, if you do this, it's going to catch up with you. Stop. Please repent. Stop being idolatrous. Stop doing this. Don't do this. And he just continued to say, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. And finally, God was like, well, then I can't. Justice has to be done. And that's exactly what happens through this But then it goes again and it says Jehu eliminated Baal worship from Israel But he did not turn away from the sins that Jeroboam Son of Nebat had caused Israel to commit Worshipping the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan Wait a minute If he turned from worshipping Baal then, Then the golden calves Like isn't that Baal? No You see Jehu did what the original sin of Jeroboam was And it's what we do You ready for this? These two golden calves, they're not Baal and Asherah, they're Yahweh. So all, all all, Jehu did was reinstate the idolatry of Jeroboam when God said, look, I still want you to travel to Jerusalem and do as I command. Worship me the way I've laid it out. There's a purpose for this. And Jehu's like, no, we're going to create two closer places of worship to go to. So it's easier for the people. We're going to make these golden calves. And no, we're not going to call them idols. We're going to call them Yahweh. Yet God commanded in the Old Testament, do not create any graven images of me. It's one of the big 10, one of the 10 commandments. He's like, don't create any graven images. And so Jehu's like, well, I can't go all the way back to like, Moses did, where we like melt down the golden calf and then make everybody drink it. I can't do that, right? So I'll take it just far enough, but I don't want to be too radical for Jesus. I don't want to be too radical for God, you know. I got to be careful how I handle this new king thing. And it's a mess again. And then he says, nevertheless, the Lord said to Jehu, because you've done well in carrying out what is right in my sight, And have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart. Four generations of your son will sit on the throne of Israel. Four generations. He tells him up front, four generations. I'm guaranteeing you that four of your sons are going to sit on the throne. And they're all going to be wicked. (laughs) They are. We'll see it as we move forward in this series. And then he says, yet Jehu was not careful to follow the instruction of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins that Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. So he was a hypocrite. He was dual-hearted. He, he refused to turn to God with all of his heart and say, God, help me change. Help me become who you want me to be. Help me to tear down the idolatry and to get rid of this stuff, and help me to be humble enough to go back to Jerusalem and tell the entire northern kingdom we're supposed to go back to worship in Jerusalem. Like, help me have that kind of strength to be right in your sight instead of trying to make things right in my own eyes. Jehu couldn't do it. And that's still the case for us today. That God lays out in scripture so clearly what it looks like to love him, to walk with him, to know him. And we refuse to listen because we don't want the outcomes that he asks for or that he promises. We want other outcomes. And Jehu wanted other outcomes. And he knew if he pursued getting rid of the golden calves, well, then we don't even have a nation anymore. Because that's kind of the point of the nation. The point of the nation is we have two golden calves and they have a temple. We've divided lines. If I get rid of the golden calves, then why is there even a northern nation? And he knows this, and he's unwilling to surrender. Then it goes on to say in 32, in those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Hazel defeated the Israelites throughout their territory. Hazel was the king of um, Aramea. So you can read about that, and you can see that in history, this guy was raised up as a powerful empire, and he went after the Israelites. And it says that God just was like, okay, you're going to start decreasing in number. You know, it's always amazing to me when people talk about our nation and the nations of the West and all those types of things. Like, you realize that based on current trajectory, okay, in four to five generations, we will be outpopulated by the Middle East and India in the West. Outpopulated There will be 10 to 20 times More of them than us Just because they have Babies and we refuse to Because we won't listen to God And what he says about raising children and having Children and they're a blessing from the Lord No, 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 we don't want to have too many Because then we can't retire well, we can't travel We can't do all the things we want to do Because kids are, man, they drain you They're expensive, right? They drain your time, they drain your money and eventually the world's just gonna outpopulate us. Like our birth rates in, in Japan right now, their birth rate's negative. It's a negative birth rate. They can't replace their population. Like like and they don't care. It's, they're not changing their ways. It's not in Germany, they're paying people to have children. And they still won't have children. Because we're that selfish, because we don't believe when God says to Abraham, Noah, and the whole Testament, be fruitful and multiply. The only way God brings souls into the world is through the womb. AI isn't a soul. We're going to have a lot of AI coming up, but it doesn't have a soul, okay? It's not become a person. It's the only thing, it's, it's what God's given humanity to do is to make more people so that more people might come to know God and worship him. Look, I don't know why God chose that way. He could have just created people out of rocks, you know, and they just pop up. I mean, he could have. They could have walked out of the sea. I mean, I don't know. But this is how he's chosen to do it. And yet, even in the church, even among God's people, like in Israel's day, they're thinking, it's so bad for us. There are so many wicked nations around us. It's just best if we hunker down and we don't complicate our lives with more people and more children. So their numbers decrease because your numbers always decrease when you get selfish. They don't increase. They decrease because the focus is just on you, just on you. And so there's no idea of multiplication. It's just me, 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 just me and you're gone. And there's no legacy after you. And that's exactly what happens in this northern kingdom. They're about 100 years in at this point as a kingdom. Goes on and says this in verse, in chapter 11 of 2 Kings. Joash was seven years old when he became king. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king and reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah, who was from Beersheba. Throughout the time, Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight, yet the high places, look at this, Were not taken away. The people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. Again, this is a theme you'll see in the book. That God's like, you'll give me a little bit of your heart, but you won't fully commit. It's like, this part, God, is mine. You can't have that. This part's mine too. You can have these things, but not these things. And you know, when you do that in a relationship, it communicates to the other person. You don't trust me. You don't love me. We're not together. That's what it communicates. Instead of saying, no, we're together. Like, I want to listen to you. I want to hear from you. And you're going to listen to me. And like, we're going to think through these things. And it says, the high places weren't taken down. In other words, there's all these reforms. We'll see in a minute. The temple's rebuilt. But the people are still hanging on to these sins, these idolatries that they can't let go of. And God's like, just trust me. Listen to me. And it was the king's responsibility and the priest's responsibility to call out the high places. And he had an army to go get rid of them, which we have seen in the book of First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles that that's happened. Where the king sent out and like tore down altars and tore down stuff. Now, we don't have that permission to do that here in the United States. But in Israel, they did. It was a king's mandate. And he refused to do it. Why? Because you got to keep the peace. You know, don't go too far. And then you start feeling good because, look, we rebuilt the temple. We did all these reforms. I'm doing pretty well. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy. And God's like, I'm not done with you yet. I, I want to change you to be someone that is after my heart instead of just a heart of being liked or whatever else. He goes on and says this in 2 Chronicles 23, 16, remember the two books marry each other. So these chapters actually tell the same story when you read them, okay, so we're going to kind of weave into them. It says, then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. Look at this. So all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They broke down its altars and images into pieces, killed Matin, the priest of Baal, At the altars, then Jehoiada put the oversight of the Lord's temple back into the hands of the Levitical priests, which is what the Bible said needed to happen because the Levitical priests weren't in control anymore, whom David had appointed over the Lord's temple to offer burnt offerings to the Lord as it is written. That is key. These reforms are not Jehoiada saying, Well, I think this might be okay. Well, I think this is a good thing. Well, I think God told me this. Jehoiada is reading the Word of God, he's reading the Bible. And he say, he's listening to it and saying, now I need to do what I read. I need to go and do what I read. That's exactly what's happening. So look, and it says, they offered the burnt offerings to the Lord as it is written in the law of Moses with rejoicing and song ordained by David. I mean, this is a revival. This is people like, they're going, they're torn down, but they won't go to the high places. Right? Like we're doing pretty well, but, but I'm not going that far. And we hear this all the time at Cross Conference. They talked about this with the students and the young people that were there. They said, you know, a lot of you have parents that are well-meaning. A lot of you even have maybe some pastors or leaders in your life that are well-meaning. But when you start to really pursue God, you'll hear them say things like, well, just don't get too religious. Don't don't get too Jesus-y. Don't go too far with it, you know. Look, I'm all for not becoming self-righteous and legalistic and being a jerk because that's not what the Bible calls us to be, right? And a lot of people go that way. But that's different than falling in so in love with God that you want to hear every word he has to say and you want to do everything you can to let people know what his word says and you want it to penetrate your heart and become a different person. That's different. That's not legalism. That is a love relationship with the God of the universe. It's beautiful. And here you have them tearing these things down and going after it, this revival. Then it says in 2 Kings 12, 4, Then Joash said to the priests, All the dedicated money brought into the Lord's temple, census money, money from vows, and all the money voluntarily given for the Lord's temple, each priest is to take from his assessor and repair whatever damage to the temple is found. But the 23rd year of the reign of King Josiah, the priests had not repaired the damage to the temple. They had been taking in all this money, getting fat and rich as God's pastors and priests, and the temple has not been repaired. They're supposed to be repairing the temple, taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans, and instead, they're rich. I'm glad we don't have that in our culture today among churches. I'm glad there aren't churches and pastors like that today. Aren't you? And he goes on and he says, look at this. But the 23rd year of the reign of King Joash, the priests had not repaired the damage. So King Joash called Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said, why haven't you repaired the temple's damage? You have a truckload of cash and gold and... Why have you not done something about the problem? Well, you know, I just need to wait a little bit longer, a little bit more. You know, you want to know how much is enough? A little bit more. You know how much is enough? A little bit more. Do you have enough? No, just a little bit more. See, it's the lie of we need to find our contentment in God and say, God, I want what you want. And you told us. We built a temple for you, and we told you that we would maintain it, and so we've got to do that. And remember, we just read that God wasn't holding them to something they didn't commit to. Jehoiada had all the people go and tear down Baal, and all the people renewed their covenant and said yes to God. All of them, including the priests. And so all Jehoiada's doing, and all all that Joash is doing at this point is saying I'm just holding you to your word. You said you believed in God. You said you wanted to to, to glorify him and have his temple. You said these things. I'm just holding you to what you said. He's not being a taskmaster. He's just like, isn't this what we agreed to? Isn't this what the Old Testament lays out? Isn't this what David and Solomon laid out as kings would be the plan for the temple? And it goes on, look, and it says, since you haven't, don't take any money from your assessors. Instead, hand it over for the repair of the temples. So the priests agreed, look at this, they would not take money from the people, and they would not repair the temple's damage. Really? Like, okay, well, we, we just won't take any more money, but we're still not going to repair the temple. If you talk about not listening, like... Really, no, no, like, stop taking the money and repair the temple with the money you have. Well, no, then we'll run out of money. I can't give away my stash. I built this up. We all, like, this is great. We're able to live well, and we as Levites, and, like, this is great. And it's like they still won't listen to God. They're not even listening to the king. They're still fighting it. It goes on and says, then Jehoiada the priest took a chest, bore a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as it enters the Lord's temple. In, the, uh, in it, the priests who guarded the threshold put all the money brought into the Lord's temple. Whenever they saw that there was a large amount of money in the chest, the king's secretary and high priest would go to the Lord's temple and count the money found there and tie it up in bags. Then they would put it, the counted money into the hands of those doing the work who oversaw the Lord's temple. So they now put out this offering box, like we do, with a hole in the lid. It's the same thing. We got a hole in the lid. Like, I laughed when I read this. I'm like, we did not make that offering box based on this passage of Scripture, but here it is, okay? And so, they, they, is like, look, so how, how are we going to repair the temple? He puts out this box. So, instead of, like, going into the stash, right, like when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said... I feel like I don't have eternal life. And Jesus is like, oh, that's because you need to sell everything you have and come and follow me because you worship money. Now, Jesus did not call everyone to sell everything they had and follow him. Just this guy. Because he knew this guy was greedy. And so he's like, you need to do this. Does that make sense? And so, again, you have this situation where Jehovah is like, well, we still need the money to repair the temple. So they put out a box. Listen, here's the great part. God's people, even though it's a mess, even though there's this wealth that's been brought in and the priests aren't necessarily doing the right thing, God's people still want to see the temple rebuilt. So they're giving additionally. That's the story of Anna that we talked about a few weeks ago in the temple when Jesus was brought as a child, right? That's the story of the widow who put in the widow's might. These people that were giving their lives in wicked situations And still calling God's people to repent. It's the same thing. Jehovah is like, you know what? Fine. Let's the people and the people bring it in. Look at what happens. It says, they in turn would pay it out to those working on the Lord's temple, the carpenters, the builders, the masons, the stone cutters, and would use it to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the damage to the Lord's temple and for all spending for the temple repairs. Like the people are giving in abundance Because it's not about, your giving is not about FX Church, Foot of the Cross Church surviving. It's not about me getting a paycheck or Jason getting a paycheck. Your giving is an act of worship before God. That's what it is. It's an act of worship. It's not about us receiving it. It's not about how we use it, even though we try to use it wisely. It's about you before God, giving through the channels that he has called you to give to. And if you control all the giving, Right? And you don't have it under authority, that's not good. Because then you're going to direct it where you want, and now you're God versus saying, No, I'm giving to the general. If that makes sense. So we go on in Kings, it says, However, no silver bowls, wick trimmers, sprinkling basin, trumpets, or any articles of gold or silver were made for the Lord's temple from the money brought into the temple. You got a pile of cash. <laughs> You're not going to make these things? But it goes on, it says, instead it was given to those doing the work and they repaired the Lord's temple with it. Now accounting, uh, no accounting was required from the men who received the money to pay those doing the work since they worked with integrity. That's amazing. So the priests are not necessarily very integrity with the money, but all the stonemasons and the carpenters and all those guys, man, they know how to run a budget. Boy, that sounds familiar. I... I it seems like there's another culture or society that it works this way, where the leaders don't know how to run a budget, but then like the families who are working hard and have to be electricians and carpenters, they have to learn how to live on a budget. Oh, that's right, uh, us. Like it, it's just, these are the same stories. Then it goes on and it says, look at this, the money from the restitution offering and the sin offering was not brought to the Lord's temple since it belonged to of the priest. So again, it's the idea that the priests, they're now supporting the priest, which was the right thing to do. So these other offerings were to make sure the priests were taken care of so that they could do the works of the temple. They could keep the temple going and all of those things, right? So that's a good thing, he says. Then it goes on in 2 Chronicles twenty four fifteen. Jehoiada died when he was old and full of days. He was 130 years old at his death hundred and thirty. God said in Genesis, man would not go past hundred and twenty, right? That would be the normal lifespan of man. And God is so happy with Jehoiada and his righteousness and the fact that he listened to God and he pursued the things of God, that he gave him an additional 10 years past the curse that God put in Genesis as a blessing, gave him longevity of life. Because he just did the right thing. He tried to follow God with his life. And it goes on, it says, he was buried in the city of David with the kings. Jehoiada is not a king. And he's getting a king's burial. And then it says, because he had done what was good in Israel with respect to God and his temple. They give him a king's burial because he did what was right in the Lord's sight. He listened and he called the people to listen. However, verse 17, after Jehoiada died, the rulers of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. They came and flattered him and bribed him. It's always how we get suckered, every time. Woe when you are flattered by men, the Bible says. Whoa, be careful. See, we love the flattery. We love people paying us homage and stroking our egos and building us up. See, Jehoiada did what was right in the Lord's t- sight, and sometimes he probably had to stand up to the king, Joash, and and, and stand or, and say, no, you're not going to do this. Then it says this, and they abandoned the temple of Yahweh, the God of their ancestors, and served the Asherah poles and the idols. The Asherah pole was a symbol of sexuality. That was the pole. Asherah was the sexuality God of that time period. You see, they decided, we're going to have our own identity, we're going to do sex our way, God doesn't have permission how to tell us what to do with our bodies and do with our lives. So we're going to go back and we're going to bribe the king so that he will give us permission to act however we want sexually because any way you act sexually is worship to Asherah because you actually went into the temple and paid to have sex with male and female temple prostitutes. As an act of worship. So no longer do I have to give to this temple. No longer do I have to give to this priesthood. No longer do I have to bring all these sacrifices that cost me. I have to raise this lamb and it's costly. And then I got to kill it and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. I can just go to the temple and have sex and give money. Or give an offering for sex. And I'm good before God. Boy, that is a religion our culture would love to have. And so did Judah. And then it says... So there was wrath against Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Now the wrath of God. In God's sight, he is so broken and angry and just, he has to judge. He's a good judge. And then it says, nevertheless, he sent them prophets to bring them back to the Lord. Look at this. But they abandoned them. But the people would not listen. God sends Elisha. He sends the prophet Joel. He sends all of these prophets to warn them. He sends good priests like Jehoiada. And the people are like, I don't care. Everything's working fine. I like this Asherah deal we got going on. I like how this is all working in culture. Seems like my life's going pretty well, Lord. Just leave me alone. God is shaking his head and saying, the warning label is on the package. It's coming. You, it's coming. Not yet, I'm fine. He goes on and says this in Second Chronicles. The Spirit of God, after all this happens, the Spirit of God took control of Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. Remember, the priesthood was passed down through the sons. He stood above the people and said to them, this is what God says. Why are you transgressing, transgressing the Lord's commands and you do not prosper? And they're thinking, no, we are prospering. We're doing well. The northern kingdom's a mess. They're decreasing in size. Um, You know, Hazel's going after them. I mean, we're doing well compared to the northern kingdom. And then he says, because you've abandoned the Lord, he has abandoned you. At that moment, there should have been a brokenness. A moment of, has God abandoned us? We need to cry out to God. God, you're everything. We're sorry that we don't want, we want you to be near us. We don't want you to walk away. We want you to be close. There should have been a repentance of this command, like he's abandoning you. Like you're, you're feeling this distance. That's not what they did. Look at what happens. But they conspired against Zechariah and stoned him at the king's command in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. People can't, Stand to listen they can't stand the truth and so what they do is they kill it we love to kill the truth either with excuses with ignorance with whatever it takes I, that I just don't want that to be true I got to do everything I can to kill it and the God of the universe is saying I want you to live I offer you life and offer you life abundantly and all you see it as death and it's not You're going to die either way. Now, are you going to live again? That's the question. We have to give our life to something. Then it goes on and it says this, King Joash didn't remember the kindness that Zechariah's father, Jehoiada, had extended to him, but killed his son. And while he was dying, he said, may the Lord see this and demand an account. Jehoiada saved Joash at age seven from death and risked his life to save this king. And that king forgot all about that because he had a mission, he had a plan, he wasn't listening to God, he didn't care, he didn't want to hear it. And killed the man's son who gave him life. That's exactly the gospel in the New Testament that God's own people killed Jesus because they couldn't stand the message he brought. They were looking for a Messiah that would come and make them kings and rulers, and he said, I'm making you a servant and a slave to the nations so that they might know me. It's the same story over and over again, and you and I have to decide what kind of people do we want to be in the Lord's sight? Do we want to be the people that kill the prophets and stone the word of God and refuse to listen, or will we be the people who... Listen, he goes on, chapter 24, in the turn of the year, the Aramean army went out to war against Joash, they entered Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders and people among them and sent all the plunder to the king of Damascus, that's King Hazel, although the army, Aramean army came with only a few men, the Lord handed over a vast army to them because the people of Judah had abandoned Yahweh the God of their ancestors. So they executed judgment on Joash. When the Arameans saw that Joash had many wounds, they left him. His servants conspired against him, that's Joash's servants, and killed him on his bed because he has shed the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest. So he died and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings like they did Jehoiada. They respectfully buried him. They respectfully understood the sovereignty of God. But Jehoiada, who was not even a king, got a kingly right and burial and place of remembrance. And Joash is remembered as something who, someone who did some good things, but his life was wrecked in the end. Do you understand that that's the message that you hear all the time in our culture? So many pastors that do good things, and in the end, their life is wrecked by financial impropriety, sexual impropriety, pride, arrogance, all of those things. It's the same story, and God is trying to warn and say, I don't want that for your life. I want you to succeed, I want you to understand that I am a God who judges, but I'm also a God who gives grace and forgiveness and, and, and reestablishes you. He goes on and says this in 2 Kings twelve nineteen. The rest of the events of Joash's reign, along with his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Joash's servants conspired against him, killed him at Beth Milo on the road that goes to Silla. His servants, Jezebed, son of Shemeth, and Jehoshabed, son of Shomer, struck him down and he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And his son Amaziah became king in his place. I love how God is specific. God always names names. He is very specific. He says, I see all. In the Lord's sight, I know your name. I know their name. I know what happened. I see all the details that you don't see. He goes on and says this. In the twelfth year of King Judah, King Joash, son of Ahaziah, Joash's son of Jehoaz, son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. So now we're in the northern kingdom. we were talking about southern, now back to the northern. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed in the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he surrendered them to the power of Hazel, king of Aram, and his son Ben-Hadad during their reign. So now Israel is like a vassal state to this foreign government. And this is what always happens in governments. They fall. Every empire that's ever existed has fallen. There is a God behind the scenes who raises up and tears down nations. And men think that it's going to last forever and it doesn't. And then it says, then Jehoaz sought the Lord's favor. So in the midst of this disaster, Jehoaz has a moment of clarity and he seeks the Lord and the Lord heard him for he saw the oppression the king of Aram inflicted on Israel. Therefore, the Lord gave Israel a deliverer and they escaped from the power of the Arameans. That's amazing. Israel has been so wicked for over a hundred years. They've done such terrible things and yet still God is looking to try to give them grace, forgiveness and love. If they'll just cry out to him and listen. He's not in heaven being like, I can't wait to get you. He's in heaven going, I don't want to have to get you. There's a way of escape. Cry out to me, call out to me, surrender to me. And if you do that, see if I don't show up in your life. But then it goes on. Jehoaz has this moment of, wow, God worked. We have these moments, and then what happens? We go right back to the vomit. We go right back to the way we used to be. But they didn't turn away from the sins that the house of Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. Jehoaz walked in them, and the Asherah pole also remained standing in Samaria. Jehoaz did not have any army left except for 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers, because the king of Aram had destroyed them, making them like dust at threshing. The rest of the events of reign, along with all his accomplishments and his might, are written in the historical record of the king, Israel's kings. Jehoaz rested with his fathers. He was buried in Samaria. His son Jehoash became king in his place. That's it. That's all his life. Boom. He he repented once, and that's all we know about him. He was evil and he repented once, and God worked. Kings goes on to say this: "In in the 37th year, of Judah, King Joash's, of Judah's, King Joash. Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, remember that's northern kingdom, Joash southern, southern kingdom, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from all the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit, but he walked in them. He wouldn't turn. So what does all this mean? Well, if you remember, there was a prophet that was prophesying at this time called Joel. You can go back and read the book of Joel. I'm going to read a quick excerpt from it. Joel was warning the kingdoms at this time that this was going to happen. He's like, this is coming. Here's what Joel writes. He says, hear this, you elders, listen, listen, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or the days of your ancestors? Tell your children about it. And let your children tell their children and their children to the next generation what the devouring locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the young locust has eaten. And what the young locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. In other words, everything is going to be wiped out if you don't turn to God and you don't see it coming. And then he says, look at this, I will repay you for the years the swarming locust that later in Joel has eaten. The young locust, the destroying locust, and the devouring locust. My great army that I sin against you, you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of Yahweh your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. You will know that I am present in Israel and that I am Yahweh your God and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. Never again shame. Never this game of, well, I'm doing idolatry and it's going to end someday. It'll be over Where we're just pursuing him. And then he says, my people will never again be put to shame. After this, look at this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and daughters will not be wicked like the sons and daughters of the king. Oh, no, 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 no. Your sons and daughters are going to have my spirit in them and they are going to prophesy. Prophesy means to tell the truth about God. It does not mean tell the future. They're going to tell the truth about who God is your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. They're you're going to have like I'm going to pour out my spirit in such a way that if you allow me if you listen to my holy spirit and my word it's going to change you. Ezekiel, one of the prophets that speaks later in the southern kingdom says this, for I will take you from the nations. Remember, they're going to be scattered. And gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And remember, the land is no longer on this side of eternity, Revelation says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that's going to come someday. We're not talking about a physical location here that we can understand. It's going to be a new physical location that comes when Jesus returns. This is the land he's talking about. First Peter says this, so rid yourself of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all slander. Why? Because you've committed your life to Jesus. Jesus. You've surrendered your life to his will. You've listened to the, to the reality of who Jesus is, that he was the savior who died and was raised and raised again. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me ask you, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Or do you keep God at a distance? Is everything else taste better to you than God? And when God tells you something, you want nothing to do with him because I want to taste something different. There's all these things I want to taste, all these experiences I want to have in the world, and you set God aside so you can chase him. Be careful. God says, taste and see that I am good. And then look at this. He says, coming to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. Do you feel rejected by men? Do you feel rejected? Like my life's a mess. God says, yeah, so is Jesus. Because the world wants us to feel that way. It doesn't want us to feel like we're useful, purposeful, that God loves us. But he says, I'm trying to build you into something. So no longer, listen, no longer do do we give to build this temple on earth, we're giving to build a human heart. Look at what he says you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Jehoiada and Joash rebuilt the temple. They brought the priests back to do all the things that God said. And in the New Testament, Jesus is like, I'm actually transforming your heart so that you, along with other believers, can build what I want built. And it's not a physical building. It is a spiritual human heart building. It's why you need the church, because you need other people to fit together to build this thing. And then he says, look at this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God so loved you that He's That he's changed your heart. He's put the Holy Spirit in you because of by faith accepting Jesus, that he is building you into something that you cannot build yourself. You can't get rid of all the high places yourself. You need God to do it. And look at what he says If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him, for God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. Be careful how you handle your body, how you handle other believers. It's God's sanctuary. It's his. If you've committed, if you've made the covenant to make Christ yours, your body is no longer yours. It's to be used for his glory. And then he says, look at this. Don't you know in verse in chapter 6, verse 19, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Let me ask you this morning. Are you listening? Are you listening? Am I listening? Am I willing to listen to what God says about who he is and about how he sees me and how he sees the world? Or am I going to listen to people that flatter and buy me off and do the things that Ash did? Am I going to be willing to do what's right in God's sight? Am I willing to listen to God and say, God, I'm done. I surrender whatever you want for my life. I don't even know what that means but i'm going to give you my life i'm going to get, you you make me into the temple and the sanctuary with the other believers that you want me to be cuz that's the message of the gospel it's the message of the whole bible and in the old testament there were these physical pictures that were always leading to a spiritual picture and reality that we now have in jesus everything in the temple was to point to jesus everything in the old testament was to point to jesus so let me ask you do you listen to jesus cuz jesus says this If you want to be saved, you must be born again. You have to surrender your life. To those of you who are believers, Jesus is saying, great, you've repented once. You've done some good things. Great, but have you stopped listening to me? Are you so caught in your own world that you're not listening? God says, listen. Listen. Listen to me, surrender to me and see if I won't do something amazing. See if I won't change your heart that you don't think can be changed and bring forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and help you understand how to do life in a way that you've never understood it. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, thank you for these stories that could easily be written today that we're seeing scripture that things haven't changed they they're continuing in the same patterns over and over because you're a god that doesn't change and you're still calling people thousands of years later to the same relationship that you were calling them to a long time ago only now you've made it so easy and clear We don't have to do all the sacrifices and all the things because you are the ultimate sacrifice. You paid the price that we could never pay. Lord, I thank you for those before us like Jehoiada, righteous men who who sought for your glory, who who give us hope when we see a nation torn apart like ours is torn apart, that we can be men like him who, who walk with you, who tell the truth, who who seek you, who protect the innocent. And even when we're treated badly and we know that our own son may be killed by the same people we serve, we're not concerned because we know we're not serving them, we're serving you. And so Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here who has never heard your voice, they've never surrendered and said, I'm listening, I surrender, I am a sinner, I need you, I need you to change me. Lord, I pray that if they haven't prayed that prayer to cry out to you, That like Jehoaz did, that one time they would do it. Because you promise that your grace is sufficient. And as they trust you by faith, that they will have forgiveness and the power to have a changed life. Lord, for those of us who are believers, I pray that we would listen to you. I pray that we would lean into your body. I pray that we would participate in building this thing called the church, your temple, your sanctuary, because our hearts are the place where your spirit dwells now. And when we gather together, this is the place where your spirit dwells. So we thank you for that this morning and we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Help us listen. Amen.